Today on Rolling with New York Mike. If we work together and celebrate this country and grow up proud of America as I grew up, proud of who we are, proud of the fact that we're free, in spite of the blemishes, the scars that we wish never happened, we achieved a moment where we were and probably are the greatest country on the history of civilization. Welcome to Rolling with the most patriotic man I know, my husband. And now, his podcast, Rolling with New York Mike. Get on the ride. So you're rolling with New York Mike on July 4th, 2023. (laughs) That's right. It's July 4th. Yeah, you know, I, I just finished the podcast, what, two days ago, sent it out. Yeah, I, and then I realized it's July 4th. This is the 4th of July. And I, I love the 4th of July. I love the idea of the founding of this country. In schools, public school, high school, whatever, you, you learn history. When we learned history in school, when I was a kid, I guess we were fresh, fresh from winning the, winning the World War II. My God, if I, I think back, we were so proud to be Americans. We were so proud that our our fathers saved the world. Our moms, they, they were the Rosie, the Riveters, and the, the country came together. And, and then we were born right after that. And we stepped into a country, a nation of heroes, a nation that just saved the world. How did it feel? I'll tell you how it felt. It felt like I was proud to be American. Grow up, and you're a little kid, you know, you're four, five years old. It's still the 1940s. You know, I always say, I grew up in the 1950s. Well, I did, but I had to get there. (laughs) So kindergarten, I remember the, the election that I guess Harry Truman won. Yeah. And I remember that. I remember being at my grandfather's house when he voted. And I, I could, I have, I don't know why, but I have vivid memories of that. I was, what, I wasn't even five years old. And, but, but America had a sense of pride, had a sense, everybody, if you're American, you, you had that, you shared in this great country that just, just saved the world. And there was a lot wrong with America. There's a lot wrong with everything. There's a lot wrong with every person. There's nothing is perfect in this world except our image of God, our belief in the Creator. And I, and I think, what, what, why do we have those kind of expectations, even of that? Is there anything that's perfect? And the first thing that comes to my, my mind is, a, is it a newborn, you know, a newborn baby? I think you hope for perfect perfection, but you don't know. You don't know until things develop. And then the idea is always, and, and it's the, the brilliance of this country, it's, it's always in order to form a more perfect union. And that was how America was. So think about just the brilliance of that statement alone. In order to form a more perfect union every single day. That's the goal of, of, that's the ideal of an American, an American citizen striving every day to form a more perfect union, to be a better place every day. And perfection is always in, in, the, in the future because there's always, it's you, more perfect. It's perfect, there's more perfect. <laughs> but that's, 
the beauty of America. That's what it was like. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about it, I'm going, see everything. I, I mean, how many people are proud to be American? How many are not proud to be American? Poll this, poll that. No one ever polled me when I was a kid in class, sitting there crying in, 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 in kindergarten, being left alone, feeling ostracized. I was the tiniest kid because they, that was our... What, what, what do you want to call it? When you, you bring a kid to school and they, they, they're taken care of? Anyway, that was, that was what they did. And I wasn't old enough to go to school. But they, they put me in school anyway and lied about my age. So I was a year younger than I should have been. So there I was, this tiny little kid in school. <laughs> I wasn't big anyway. And, and there I was. So everything to be upset about. And well, I wasn't upset about anything. <laughs> I was just grateful every day. We we heard stories. I remember, and I've I've said this so many times. All the all my dad's friends coming over the house play pinochle every Wednesday, and also to do other things. We lived in this little thing. It was a, they called it a bungalow, but it was the barracks that after World War II and the guys. So my dad's friend, we didn't. There were no walls. His buddies came over, and they came over the house and built walls, and they helped each other. They were all in the same boat, literally in the same boat. And they helped you. But while they're helping each other, here you are. So I don't care if you're two or three years old. Let me tell you something. Careful what you say about two, three-year-olds, that you think that they're not going to carry that with them for the rest of their lives. The camaraderie, the feelings of my dad and his buds when I was a toddler, I could remember can I remember the specific words? Maybe a little bit later. I sure remember Alvasta. That was his name, my dad's shipmate. And I remember Alvasta looked like a wrestler, big, strong, long black hair, way down. I mean, wait, you know, I'm talking about the 40s now, right? Before it was fashionable, right? After World War II. Imagine these guys. My dad cut his hair every two weeks. But Al, this big, strong Italian dude, man, they were best friends. And I do remember some conversations. As I remember when my dad and Al Vasta were talking about working the boiler on the ship and show, and what it felt like and how Al got burnt on his chest from being in the boiler room on the ship, shoveling coal. I guess it was coal. I assume it was coal. I remember that conversation with these other four or five guys in the room talking about how tough things were. I didn't remember the, all the details of every story, but there I was. There I was, a toddler, two, three years old, getting this image of this these these guys that saved the world, this great country that they lived in, their plans, their dreams, their ideas. They had nothing. They had nothing. I don't remember what Al Vasta was doing. His son was my age, Ray Ray. <laughs> yeah, and, and they lived in a different set of projects. But uh, I remember one guy had a, a sewing machine store. Jock Jackowitz, this big dude, man, he was... He was delivering dry cleaning in a truck, a six-by, an army truck <laughs> that he got from Salvation someplace, he, whatever. <laughs> he, he liberated it, right? And, and he was, eventually he got a dry cleaning store, but they had nothing. My dad drove a cab, delivered flowers in one of the flower truck with a sliding door. I'd love to go in that thing. And he, and he worked in a lunch. I mean, every these guys, but their dreams, they had their dreams. They had their belief in themselves, their confidence that they were living in this greatest country in the world. You know how much that meant? 
Do you know how much that meant? I remember my dad taking me to Coney Island to see the parade July 4th. July 4th parade on Surf Avenue in Coney Island. No, there was no, there was no Joey Chestnut. There was no, I mean, Nathan's was there, but we couldn't afford to eat at Nathan's. But, but we could afford to go and stand on the sidewalk and watch the parade. But one after the other, my dad had me up on his shoulders. That's, that's what I remember. That's the July 4th. That was, that was celebrating America. The crowds on the streets. That was, that was celebrating America. And I, and I do remember when July 4th fell. How weird is it? This is July 4th. It's a Tuesday. Why do I remember July 4th on a Tuesday? Because Milton Berle came on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. And it was the Texaco Star Hour or whatever. And I mean, nobody missed Milton Berle. Now, do we have a, 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 a television? No. But the neighbors in the summertime, the nice weather, would take the one with the, with the, with the, the, the TV and put it outside. And three or four families would sit around outside, outside the house in the middle of the street. It was a dirt street in Brooklyn, New York, Coney and Manhattan Beach, over there by, by the water's edge. And they, they'd want, and I remember that there was something about, are we going to go to Coney Island for the July 4th parade, or are we going to be able to watch Milton Berle? And I, I, I don't remember, I, well, I know the outcome because I remember being at the parade. So yeah, it's, hard to, it's hard to pinpoint those little moments. But I know it was July 4th, and, and I know that celebrating America and celebrating who we were on July 4th and the birth of a nation, birth of this country, our forefathers, the Revolutionary War and everything that came with it. And it, it, it was just something to, for everyone to celebrate. We were poor. We had nothing. No, we didn't go walk Surf Avenue down to Nathan's. <laughs> no, we definitely didn't do that. I remember the first time we actually got to Nathan's. Going to Nathan's and getting a Nathan's hot dog. No, we couldn't do that back then. We didn't have enough money for that 15, I don't know if it was a 15 cent hot dog. My consciousness, the 15 cent, the 15 cent hot dog. But I don't, you know, we couldn't do it then. No way. Are you kidding me? No. So, but it was a goal. It was a dream. It was a, it was something that, you know, that you could get to, you could believe in, you could get there. And when we did, I do remember that. Yeah, I, 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 that, yeah, I don't want to get into the whole history of growing up in Brooklyn. You know, when we were in Manhattan Beach and Sheepshead Bay and Jackowitz was in Coney Island on 3rd Street off Surf Avenue. I, 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 we, those are crazy details. And, you know, I'm probably romanticizing on things that were so tough and difficult, maybe even not, man, not horrible, but also wonderful. You know, the, the best of times, the worst of times. That's, that's, that's all the time. It's just the way it is. But then you focus on things. And in this country today, people are being told it's a terrible country, you know, back then. We did have segregation, not so much. Where I was in Brooklyn, New York, I mean, blacks were in one neighborhood, but so were Irish, and then they were Italian and Jews. And poor Jews, you know, weren't allowed to go into, I think the, the most, the, 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 the people that were restricted by culture from going into other people's neighborhoods, mostly were the Jews. And, and I don't think, I think the Irish kind of stood up. They were, 
they were so persecuted when they came here. They they grew some tough skin. And then, of course, the Italians. And, you know, they grew up with their gangs. And, and, and don't forget the Jews, you know. They, they had murder incorporated, remember? You know, uh, I, I, I mean, if you, you want to go back and look at the... The truth and the history, it, it's, it's, uh, people, I don't think this country, when they talk about not teaching history, say, oh, you didn't teach about, you know, the original sin of slavery, the this and that. There's a lot of history in this country that's kind of like glossed over because it was so tough for so many people. And, and you know, slavery is a horrible thing. But when, when I grew up and learned about how blacks were treated in the South, it was, that was a horrible thing. Who knew from Jim Crow? I don't know from Jim Crow. But blacks were treated like pariah in the South. And I, I, but so were Jews. Yeah. And people want to kind of slough over that because I don't know why. We handled it differently. My black friends say to me, yeah, well, they didn't know you. You didn't stand there like a big sign on your head. Jew, Jew, Jew. We're black, black, black. You know, it's right there. It's different. I, I served with black guys at the worst of times in the 60s. I, I don't remember any of them that hated America. We had big fights. We had arguments. We had, I mean, we had physical fights where blacks wouldn't let us in their bars. I grew up in Brooklyn. White kids didn't walk through Harlem. I grew. I had to live for a while in Bedford-Stuyvesant. You, they thought I was nuts. What the hell are you doing here, white boy? You crazy? I mean, that's just part of living in America, and now we're coming together. Now people are saying, oh, yeah, we got to have all this diversity and all this. Well, we, we're always going in that direction. I, I, I think when you want to look back and condemn the nation because we weren't as good as we are, and, and even today people are going to say somehow that because maybe blacks haven't achieved I don't see that. Do we have a black president in the United States? I didn't like anything about the guy. I was a, a nice guy with a nice family. You know, he, that part of it, I'm talking about his, his doing his job as president, as senator. There wasn't anything I liked about him. But he was a black dude, man. Elected two terms. I, I couldn't figure it out. But this is a country, as a country. This country looked at that and said, we want to embrace that. Mike, are you nuts? Oh, you're going to point to the fact that he did this, that, the other. No, nah, he's a black. We need to do that. that. To me, that shows where the country is. Is it smart to be that place? I don't think so. But it's certainly not a racist country, a bad country, a country that's... And then I, I look back at how, how this country was founded, the sacrifices, the hard work, the people that gave so much... Pledge their honor, their lives, their, their sacred lives, their freedom. They pledged everything to each other as they move forward to this war against the most powerful nation on the planet. And I, I mean, not to retell the whole story, but the other day I did see a special on the national anthem. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. If anything tells the story of this country in a way that we should understand much better than we do, it's our national anthem. And it's amazing how, what, there's something like six lines. The first verse, there's four verses, the first verse that starts with, oh, say, can you see? That six lines tell a story. It does. And it's an amazing story. And it, I don't, we're not, we don't appreciate it enough. And there were people who were offended by a national anthem. They, oh, we should have America the Beautiful or something else is our national anthem. 
And then we have when the NFL was protesting and then other or professional sports organizations pro- protested and even some other, they protest on national anthem. Why? What do we do so wrong? Everything needs to be told. Every story needs to be told in the context in, in, in which these things happen. And not to ever make light of the horrors of slavery, ever. But there's a context where slavery, the kind of slavery we're talking about, existed worldwide. And this nation founded in a war that started in 1776 and lasted for years, and then we founded the country. We fought, argued, fought verbally, and, and some physically abolition, abolitionists that we shouldn't have slavery in the, most people in, the, in this country agreed with that. And there, there was an argument that lasted for 70 years, 50, 60, 70 years, as, as we, were, we were born in 1789, and the Civil War breaks out in 1861. That's 70 years they were arguing and fighting, trying to resolve this nation's History of slavery and 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 how we how we're going to end it. We have the abolitionists and and then we it it, it ends in a in a war that cost almost seven hundred thousand lives at a time when there's thirty million people. The whole country had thirty million people, and almost I mean that's a, a huge amount of lives that are lost in a war that we fight over states' rights and slavery. And slavery is ended by the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. We need to celebrate these things. Yeah, we had segregation, we had had all kinds of things, but we always worked towards having a more perfect union. And then in, in 1931, we adapt something written by Francis Scott Key. We adapted this on National Anthem. And here we are on Independence Day, celebrating our independence, celebrating standing up to the British and saying, that's it, we're done. We're a free country. We're going to form a more perfect union. We the people. That's how it starts. We the people. In order to form a more perfect union. We're done. We're done with you. We're on our own. Boom. That was 1776. Then we fought the war that we won against this amazing British British military. Amazing. It dominated the world. And then a few years later, in 1812, the War of 1812. Here's this young country. Were we this powerful nation? Why, just because we won the Civil uh, Revolutionary War? Maybe we got a little lucky. <laughs> Maybe they underestimated us. Maybe it's hard to fight a war when you got oceans... 3,000 miles of ocean between between your base and, and where you're fighting the war back back in the 1700s and the 1800s. Maybe that was kind of difficult. Maybe, you know, logistically, we pulled it off at the right time. Maybe had they lasted another 50 or 100 years, we might not have been able to do it. They had faster ships and better logistics. But we did it when we did it, and we were successful. But we're still this country that was dependent on what? Out there? trying to remain together, to grow, to explore, to develop into the country that we finally became. Conquering the West. You, you want to talk about the, the Indian Wars of the 1840s coming up? But here it is, 1812. And, and we're trying to settle a nation and build this nation. And Washington is the capital and the British 
the British Star of the World, I say, oh, this is ridiculous. How the heck do we let this stupid little country of, of these colonists, these idiot pioneers, these people can't even speak proper English. What do they have? They don't have industry. They don't have, they, they don't have the infrastructure of a nation like Britain, Great Britain. Let's go back in and there's ships would go up and down the coast and they'd come in and remember the War of 1812, they burnt Washington. They were going for Baltimore. They said, we're gonna close down the port of Baltimore. That's where all the goods come in. That's how, that's how they're surviving. That's how they're breathing. They got all this stuff coming into Baltimore. And, and, and they remember they burnt the White House down. Yeah, in, 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 and I don't remember, was that 1812, 13, 14? But I was at Fort McHenry a couple of years ago on Memorial Day. And we were there, and it was great. You could see that you're on the coast of Baltimore. You ride, we rode our motorcycles there, Memorial Day. And you ride through Baltimore, the worst. I mean, it's horrible, but it's the docks. It's the waterfront. That's where it is. And you come on this Fort McHenry. And it's this fort, and you can see the ramparts protect the fort from the ocean. It's right there on the ocean. And the ramparts are there and then and they still and there's the flag. And there's the barracks where the troops lived and and the families were there. There it is, Fort McHenry, just like it was back during the War of 1812. And you you could see it. You could see the ramparts that they were looking over to see if the flag was still there. And we were there. And I'm thinking, wow, now I'm hearing, how do you, how do you protest America by not saluting, not standing, not respecting our national anthem? It means you don't understand our national anthem. You have no clue about what that means, about what we're talking about here. The bravery, the courage, the, the resolve to stand up again, again. Well, we might be even more vulnerable at, at, at that time, when the, 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 the country is just so young and forming, just, just trying to get its sea legs, if you will. And, and, and yet, here we are, singing something that's written by Francis Scott Key. And I want to I talk to you about this. So if you don't understand, I want you to think about it and understand it and appreciate it. Because Francis Scott Key was at that time a lieutenant and he, he was part of a group, and I don't think he served a long time, but he was part of a group that, that were trying to make peace with the British. The British were out there, you know, destroying. They were trying to take back America. And they were out there destroying Baltimore and Francis Scott Key. And, and, and they had captured, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a doctor, and they held him on one of their prisoner ships. And Francis Scott Key, with, with a couple of other guys, one or two, just a few, agreed to go out to the British and, and try to get them to give this guy back. He was a doctor. There was some important reason for him to be there. Yeah, I know some of you know the details better than me. So what? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, Francis Scott Key went out and, and arguably was, you know, taking captive POW on, on, a, on a British warship that this warship, this is the most advanced military and artillery on the planet Earth at the time. It's 1814. And they're trying to reach an agreement to end this war and to bring back the prisoners. And the, and the British are laughing at them. And they say, they're going to they're gonna come right through Baltimore and take it back. 
And to get through Baltimore, they have to get through Fort McHenry. And they're, they're, they're just, the artillery, the bombing of Fort McHenry is horrible. And Francis Scott Key and, and a couple of others paddle out to the British warship. And now they're being held captive throughout this whole day of the British bombardment of Fort McHenry. And all day long, and then it gets dark, and they're, they're, they're prisoners on this boat. Now, they can't just walk free. They just can't. They're not, are, are they in prison suits? No, they're, they're dressed in their, but, but they're still captives. They're still prisoners of war on a ship. And whether they were with other American prisoners, the prisoners they're trying to get loose or not, I, I, I don't know, but I know that they're together. And they're watching the bomb, the bombing of Fort McHenry as it gets dark. And then it's dark and they can't see anything. They, all they can see and, and they know about, they're probably, I don't know, there's two or three miles offshore, maybe as much as five or six miles. I don't know how, how far those, those artillery shells from those ships fired back in that day. I always thought it was, yeah, a mile or two. I heard somebody say it was five or six miles, whatever it was. All they could see is that flag. And they knew as long as the flag was flying, the, the fort was still being held by the Americans. We were still there. We still had it. And so just imagine it, as, as day turns to night and night, you know, all night long, they're watching and they can only see that flag when, when the, the, the bombs are bursting. And that moment of light as a bomb bursts, and there's the flag. And then it's dark again, and then a few minutes later, boom, another burst of light, and they see the flag. And now it's starting to get daylight. And Francis Scott Key turns to his fellow prisoners, and he, and he looks at someone and says, Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Oh, the ramparts we watched was so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh say, can you see? Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? Yeah, that was it. And he wrote it down. He wrote a few more stanzas. And that's our national anthem. You got to remember, this, this, country was under attack. The British were laughing at us, ready to take us back. But those stalwarts, those soldiers being bombarded at Fort McHenry, little Fort McHenry, I've been there. They stood tough. They kept that flag rising. This is a story I, I read once, not that long ago, that in the morning, there were bodies laying at the bottom of the flagpole because it had been broken and they had to come and they had to, they had to keep it erect they had to keep it up they had to keep that flag flying and they did and and the story was that there are eight or ten or twelve bodies that were lying there but no matter how many were killed no matter how many gave their lives so many no matter how much fort McHenry suffered it stood it, it didn't willow it didn't fall it didn't bend under this bombardment this Naval fleet, this indomitable, huge, strong, strongest Navy fleet in the world with the most advanced artillery, and they stood up to it. America stood up to it. We think we have problems today. How do you think it was? The White House was burnt down. Buildings were destroyed. People were killed in the streets by an enemy, by the British, who 
wanted us back as a colony. That's what they did. And we stood up to them. And that's the whipped cream on the pie, on the cake of the Revolutionary War, that War of 1812, that we were able to sustain this nation under that kind of firepower and pressure. The whole British Empire now, you know, regrouped and resolved and coming back to take us over. And here we are, this story of, of watching the battle of Fort McHenry from a British warship as a prisoner of war. Francis Scott Key writes this memory of how it felt. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er oh, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Yeah, those are just, just the words of that morning as it got light, as the darkness went away, the light started, came up, and can you still see it? Can you still see that flag, that American flag? Does it yet wave? How do you not celebrate a nation that has survived that and, 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 and whose only motto at the time was to form a more perfect union, knowing how imperfect we were and how our goal was to be more perfect every day. That's what we celebrate. A country that celebrates, celebrates freedom. Freedom. The idea that men and women are free. That we are free. And yes, all men and women are free. That 14th Amendment that was written after the Civil War to put an exclamation point on, on where we are at that time. And yes, we fought. And yes, there were horrible things that went on. There are horrible things that go on today. And I get it. But there's only one nation in the world where we, the people, have the power. And where everyone is, by law, treated equally. That's America. That's a country that anybody can succeed in. And that's why millions try to get here every day. Illegally or legally. The ones who get here legally, we celebrate. The ones who get here illegally, we have to hold them back. We have to fight them off. We have to keep them out. They have to come here legally to help us celebrate this great country. And people don't understand that. They think immigration, yeah, we're a nation of immigrants. Yes, we are. And there was one time, at one time, people could just come here as an immigrant, land in South Carolina if you were an Australian prisoner, land in, you know, Baltimore, land in Galveston, land in, and, 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 and gradually we became a more perfect union. And we formed Ellis Island. We had laws and rules. And we started seeing how the world wanted to beat up the path to our doors. And so we set up a process. We have to respect that. We have to understand the reason we don't. That's why people could say stupid things like defund the police. Because they don't understand. They don't understand what it means to have a defunded and a, and a, and a, 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 a much maligned and demoralized police force. But they're starting to understand now, you know, how many years after, you know, the riots caused by the killing of George Floyd. So... We have to understand as a nation, everything, Europe, we, we, each individual is a flawed human being. There is no perfect human being, no such thing, but we try to get better. Whether it's athletically, intellectually, any way we can, we strive in our lives 
to become better. We go to school. We go to, we go to the gym. We train. And we know we're going to eventually <laughs> wither and die. And yet, every day we're alive, most of us work to make ourselves a better person, to strive to be a more perfect human, just as we in this nation strive to be a more perfect nation. And yet, as a human, and we know that we're just going towards our end to the demise, as a nation, we believe we're going towards being a better and greater nation all the time for all the people. And we can only get better if we believe that. We can only get better if we understand that we can't live here and wallow in, 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 in a, a miserable history and pointing out only the bad, pointing out all the things you did bad and, and not celebrate how much better we become every day. A more perfect union. How many times have I said that? A more perfect union. That's the goal. A more perfect nation. A better place every day. And, and this clear evidence that we have come to that place. And yeah, we can argue all day long. There's nothing wrong with that. The Supreme Court rule, you can't have, you know, you can't have discrimination to fight discrimination. You can't have this thing called affirmative action. Because you can make it affirmative action again, you know, for any group you choose. Oh, blacks, oh, they were slaves, okay. That's still, it, it, it's, it's still wrong. But we can argue it. And that's what we do. And so there's going to be more time to discuss and argue and fight and figure out how to become an even more perfect union every single day that America is on this planet. But in order to be a more perfect union, we have to understand that we come from imperfection and we're going in one direction to get better. And perfection is way, way, way off if it's if it's even ever achievable. <laughs> it's a noble goal. <laughs> maybe maybe a little a little bit over the top, right? But if all we're going to talk about is everything we've done wrong and everything that was wrong, bad, or you know the the, the mistakes that we've made, if that's all we're going to talk about, you're not celebrating that. Let's celebrate what we've achieved. Let's celebrate against all odds, by the way. Let's celebrate this great country, the things that this great country has done, and that if we work together and celebrate this country and grow up proud of America as I grew up, proud of who we are, proud of the fact that we're free, in spite of the blemishes, the scars, in spite of all those things that we wish never happened, in spite of all that, we achieved a moment where we were and probably are the greatest country on the history of civilization. We also need to fight every day to stay there and to get better, to become every day an even more perfect union. That's what, that's what Independence Day, that's what the 4th of July, the birthday of America means to me. I'm New York Mike and thanks for listening and happy July 4th. Thanks for listening to Rolling with New York Mike. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to keep this podcast rolling.